0: everyone and welcome back to Inside College Admissions, a SCORE podcast. We're excited for you to join us today for another conversation in our Deans of Admissions series. You'll hear from our guests about the fall semester during a pandemic, the admissions process, how schools are adapting, suggestions and advice for families, and much more. Our strategic advisor, Peter Van Buzkirk, will guide us through the conversation today with our special guest. Now over to Peter for today's interview. Welcome to Inside College Admission, conversations with admission leaders about matters affecting the college-going process. My name is Peter Van Buskirk. Earlier this year, I was able to chat with 20 deans of admission about the challenges posed to their institutions by the emerging coronavirus. Today, I'm pleased to have with me longtime friend and colleague, former colleague, Eric McGuire, who is the Vice President for Enrollment at Wake Forest University. And pleased that Eric's been able to break away from the credential review process to update us on the college admission uh, situation in the era of COVID-19 as he sees it. So welcome, Eric. Uh, How's everything going?
1: It's been quite a year, Peter. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the time. Uh, uh, Quite a year. Does it seem like uh, a year or does it seem like 10 years? It seems like, uh, yeah, several years. Uh, I was thinking back uh, to when we first went under uh, sort of stay-at-home orders here in the spring, and it seems so far away, so much has happened in that period of time. But we've, we we're managing through it. Uh, but it's, it's certainly the most disruptive experience in higher education that I can think of in the last, say, 75 years. Oh, well, I would say that's probably true, and it, uh, the disruptions will, will probably have ripples that continue for
0: many years into the future as well. Undoubtedly with With regard to your shop right now, I would imagine we're heading into the middle of December. it's soon time to release early decision, maybe early action results what 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 has your review process been like? Have you noticed a difference or is it pretty much same as?
1: There's been some similarities and some differences. I'll speak to both first in terms of uh, our early decision. I, I've been in contact with maybe I'd say three dozen or so of my colleagues at various institutions, just to take a bit of a straw poll, how those early decision pools have taken shape. And it's not all universal in terms of response there, but um, the majority of institutions have reported that they're down in early decision. Mm. And the magnitude is anywhere between say 10 to about 40%. So some pretty significant declines in early decision. We're down in early decision this year at Wake as well at at 18% uh, for early decision one. Early Decision 2 has a January 1st deadline, so we won't know that for a little while yet. Uh, But we're down in Early Decision 1, and we're we're going through and and finalizing that read process uh, in the moment right now. In terms of what has remained the same in that process is that there are essentially three questions that, that we look to ask ourselves. And that is, what will a student contribute to our institution academically? What will a student contribute extracurricularly? And how well is that student aligned or does that student fit with our motto of pro humanitate or for humanity and those three fundamental questions in our application process really have not varied uh, in this in this new cycle we may have a few less pieces of information to consider as part of that there may be some contextual elements that we have to reconsider as part of that process but uh, the fundamental questions that we're asking ourselves about a student's fit with the institution academically extracurricularly and in terms of our campus culture Uh, really have remained the same in that process.
0: Now, over the last 10 months, a lot of your counterpart institutions have chosen to go test optional in some way or another, in addition to the the thousand or so that started the cycle as test optional. Uh, Where does Wake Forest stand in that regard
1: right now? Wake Forest has been test optional since 2008-2009, and so we've got a good decade under our belt of being a test optional institution. Um, you know Peter, that transition was kind of interesting for me because most of my professional career has actually been at test optional schools. As you know at Franklin and Marshall, uh, during my time at Ithaca College, we we took the Ithaca test optional after a, a number of years and uh, quite a bit of research that we did on the topic, and now here at Wake Forest. So for me, uh, this has been quite familiar territory, whereas I know for much of our profession, it's been a much a much bigger pivot.
0: Did you see when you look more broadly at the the landscape of pirate, Do you see this point in time as an inflection point with regard to testing? Do you think that that sixty percent increase will stay
1: uh, and grow, or do you think there will be a contraction after a year or so? From what I've heard from colleagues, and again, we're we have been a test optional institution. We've planned on you know continuing that vein. Obviously, from those who've made a more recent transition, I've heard some suggest that they they may miss that testing element. They look to return to that testing element. That's something that has been more familiar and foundational to their review process at their respective institutions and I think would would look to make a pivot in return once testing is more widely available to students. I've heard quite a number of others who have said this has been a really interesting test case for us to go test optional uh, to understand what that means for our review process. And I think there's going to be some that will continue this experiment in in future years and that may become enduring policy at their institution. I, I wouldn't expect that the entirety of the group that has gone test optional out of necessity this year would continue in that vein. However, I would anticipate that a portion of that uh, will, will remain long-term.
0: Out of curiosity, what portion of your applicant group will submit credentials without
1: tests? In a typical year, that ranges anywhere between a quarter to a third of our applicant pool, which are test optional. And interestingly enough, um, that carries through to our enrolled student class as well. So those percentages typically are, are fairly consistent with very little if any kind of manipulation on our part to make sure that that's the case. We really don't pay attention to those numbers until after the fact. But but typically a quarter to a third of our applicant pool in our enrolled student class um, will be test optional in our process. Now we do at Wake offer students the opportunity who have been test optional to then submit their scores for research purposes before they enroll. So once they've enrolled and, and over that summer before they actually attend classes, Uh, they can submit their scores. And we actually do include those scores in our averages institutionally. Um, However, uh, it's about typically about a quarter to a third of our students. This year, I'm anticipating that number growing. Anecdotally, I would say that approximately or a little bit more than 50% of the files that I've read this year, and I've I've Mm only been in this with the early decision process thus far, um, have been test optional at this point
0: got to ask, when when you're looking at credentials, and, and your, your team looking at credentials, and, and you've got students who submitted without test results, where does your eye go? What what are you trying to, to see in that candidate? Because uh, tests, for better or worse, kind of give you a compass point, uh, and sometimes it's a good one, sometimes it's not, but without it at all, uh, you may be trying to find another orientation to the student. What what kinds of things are you looking for um, in in a more subjective assessment of the
1: the candidate? Yeah, I don't wanna speak for the College Board of the ACT here, but I believe they would suggest that their tests point to some some metrics or or, um, uh, correlate with academic success uh, at the institution. I've I've done some research which would would question that or question the incremental validity that that provides on top of uh, one's transcript. But that's essentially what we're trying to get at when we look at standardized test scores. Now, in in my professional experience, I've never needed a standardized test score in order to make an assessment of a student's academic credential and a projection of how well or how strong of a candidate that student might be on my campus. I can determine if I think that student may, may need some help on our campus or might be an average student or might be someone who I would consistently expect to be on the Dean's List or someone like our, our recent Rhodes uh, Scholar recipient um, that would be one among the top in the class. I have found that the, um, the transcript, the strength of the student's schedule, the grades they've received in those classes, the, um, the writings of the counselors and the teachers and the recommendations, as well as my assessment of a student's essays have all provided ample information for me to be able to make that assessment and that kind of prediction. And I think most uh, colleagues who work at test optional schools feel that um, that's, that's adequate information as well. As I've
0: talked with families over the last 10 months, there, there seems to be a, great, a growing concern among them that the essays become more important. What do you hope to see in an essay from a kid? And, and I'm not thinking necessarily about a COVID essay, but in general, what, what can the essay tell you about a student that, that makes that student, makes his or her credentials pop, if
1: you will, in your eyes? You know, um, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, funda- most fundamentally, we're looking at what is the quality of the writing in the essay, given the, the amount of writing that a student would do on our campus, and what is the quality of the content? What is the, the narrative and the story that they're telling as part of that? Um, beyond that, uh, there are opportunities for students to really stand out and differentiate themselves with their essay in the application process as well, um, should they so choose by telling a story that's, that's a bit more unique, a, a little bit more personal to their own experience, or really speaks to who they are and what they would contribute to our campus community over their four years and their tenure on our campus. And so those are the kinds of things we look for, and I think are, are, the, are the stories that really relate. You know, When we go through our review process, we have a first reader that reads the application, makes some notes and some recommendations, then that goes to a second reader uh, who does the same kind of parallel process, and then that goes to a committee that, that is uh, presented and, and decided upon. And Oftentimes that essay can be a bit overlooked in that committee process for grades and, and other more fundamental elements of the application. But there are opportunities where a student can really stand out and build that strong narrative that's relayed to that committee um, if, they, if they have that opportunity to do so in the essay. Is it
0: easy or hard for a reader of an application to tell whether the student has applied to Wake Forest because of a, a deep seated connection, a, a sense of synergy that's been discovered between the student and the institution or whether that student is simply applying because,
1: hey, it's late, I wanna see if I can get in. You know, we um, we provide students uh, quite extensive opportunities to really express themselves in the application process. So we're one of the few institutions that's still, a few top 50 research universities that still provide the opportunity for students to interview with us. and so. Uh, that's available to students and students can take advantage of that. We have a number of supplemental essays that are part of our application in which students can articulate that kind of connection to the institution and, and why they may um, differentiate themselves or, or what they might contribute to, to our institution over the long term. So we really don't find um, a shortage of opportunities for students in our application process for them to express themselves and, and why they might be the right fit for us. There you go. I'd like to reflect now
0: back. Uh, just a, a few months to the experience that Wake Forest might have had with the current freshman class. Because I would imagine back in March, April, May, there had to have been some consternation about what's going to happen now. Are these kids going to come? Are they going to come in the number that we need, et cetera? And, and I, I talked with some folks who, who speculated that the, the final outcome of the class might not be known until the first day of classes in September. What was Wake's experience? Did, did you get? the class that you fully
1: anticipated? Uh, Did you get it minus a factor of kids deferring? Uh, What was your experience? We actually over-enrolled our class this past fall. We began having conversations, honestly, back in January and February, when this was more isolated in certain countries, and and we recognized that this could be something that impacts our international Mm students. How might we address that? Obviously, you know, fast forward a month or two later, and this was a worldwide phenomenon that we had to really address. And, um, and we continue to, to mold and adapt our thinking. We made some aggressive admits off of our waitlist you know more so than when we normally would to build up our class in anticipation that the students that might normally melt over the summer we might have about 50 students or so out of a class of close to 1,400 who may make other decisions to d- decide to go to other institutions what have you that number we, we didn't really know how to ballpark that this year we knew it was going to be more than, than our normal 50 because we, we, we uh saw the kind of calamity that was unfolding before us, but we really didn't know where to, uh, to set that benchmark. And honestly, part of that was, um, would be contingent upon what was our course modality for this fall semester? What were students coming back to? And we hadn't really established that at that point in time. So we were, we were trying to project to an unknown destination here, if you will. So it was absolutely a challenge. We took a conservative approach by over-enrolling our class Quite honestly, I anticipated more students uh, deferring to the following year. We only had 30 of our students that deferred to uh, this coming fall semester. So we slightly over-enrolled our class, slightly by a magnitude of about 40 or 50 students. So with the other infrastructure that we added to our campus in terms of hotel and other kinds of residential spaces in order to de-densify our campus, we were able to absorb that. Um, But we have to be mindful that we're not doing that multiple years in a row.
0: Well, that leads to a question then that's in the minds of a lot of current seniors applying. Will that over-enrollment from last year, will that that cohort of deferred students coming back then in the fall of 2021, will that impact the selectivity at Wake Forest now? Will it it hurt my chances? Do you hear that conversation at all?
1: I hear that conversation. I hear that concern. I can speak to to this question as it relates to Wake Forest, but honestly, this is a question that I would encourage uh, families to have with various institutions that they're applying to because I think it might really vary depending upon the institution. I've heard of other schools, more schools that went uh, fully virtual for the fall where they had larger deferrals to the following year. So each campus might have uh, reacted to this and their students might have reacted to this a bit differently we're anticipating bringing in a class that's fairly comparable in size to um, not last year's over enrollment, but prior year. So we're not we're not swinging the pendulum in the other direction, so to speak, to bring in a, a um, intentionally small class next year. We're looking to, to sort of go back to normal for ourselves. So. I want to go back
0: to the conversation about testing because the, in, in addition to tests as a, a, a metric that's somewhat useful uh, in the selection process, um, you and I both know that institutions for a long time have used uh, testing as a, an opportunity to do some lead generation, too. When students have taken the PSAT, the SAT, the ACT, as institutions, we would buy lists of names of students who you know, would fit our profile in some way. Uh, if, if indeed there seems to be a move away from testing, do you see that there's going to be an impact then on your ability to, if you will, build your admission funnel?
1: Uh, two responses to that. First, I, I, I'm fortunate to be at a place that is um, as established and well known as Wake Forest University. Uh, and, and we do a fairly good job of of building out our applicant pool, mm-hmm. even irregardless of, of any kind of name purchases there. So that's, we're, we're well positioned in that regard and, and less concerned than I think other schools in terms of the potential impact of this year. Kids find you. You don't have to find them. Yeah. Moving forward um, and, and thinking about this in, in future years, assuming that we have more schools that are, that are test optional into the future, what I have found is that students will still take the test. Um, uh, you know, so if, if, if you're uh, applying to institutions, you want to know what that score is, you want to understand, should I submit this or should I not to various institutions, you're still probably planning on taking the test. So in that regard, I don't think it's going to be terribly disruptive in the longer term to our um, ability to recruit students as we have. But I think there's some new technologies also that may disrupt that, that marketplace as well, that, that are you know, new vendors, new opportunities that are, that are on the forefront, that are pushing that in a different direction and encouraging conversation in different spaces. So we'll see what the future holds in that regard. And it'll certainly be a moving target given some of the disruption that we've seen in the wake of, of the pandemic. So
0: knowing you, as I think I do, you're probably all over that new technology piece. Uh, and, and I suspect that uh, you're not waiting necessarily for the technology to find you. What, what have you found has taken place at Wake by your own invention, really, over the last six to eight months as, as you've kind of reshaped your outreach to students, prospective applicants,
1: now applicants? You know, last fall was quite an interesting pivot because, or I should say last spring was quite an interesting pivot because we rely so much on face-to-face activities for our YIELD programs. Once we've identified and, and communicated with our admitted student group, we're inviting them to campus. We're a very hospitable place and we really wanna make sure that students um, have that firsthand experience where, where they're seeing the campus and, and all that we have to offer. And it was, it was quite a pivot for us to transition to uh, not be able to, to host those activities and to have to convert a lot of the, the, that content to digital formats. And so we did so very quickly last spring. We're going through and, and, and putting together a more substantive effort right now to make sure that this spring, uh, we've got all of that content in a digital format that we think is, is really best laid out for our students our, that are gonna be making that decision uh, before May 1st here. But I think some of those, that digital content will have life beyond uh, the, the process this year. I think that we have found that some of the, transitioning some of those conversations has really been advantageous to our communication with prospective students and their families, and we see sort of a parallel process where we will have that face-to-face in the future when it's safe to do so. But we'll couple that with a more robust digital effort that we really didn't, I mean, outside of our website, didn't have you know, fully in place in the, in, in the past.
0: So would you say then that perhaps the work you're doing now has enabled you to extend your reach perhaps to students? And, and conversely, is despite the fact that kids may feel dislocated from campuses because they, they can't visit. The way they would like,
1: they can still get to know Wake Forest very well through what you're doing now. I'm not sure if that's been if it's been an extension or if it's been a reallocation or how it exactly you know how the numbers exactly kind of break out. But what I could see in the future when we do have those face-to-face opportunities, which students will undoubtedly take advantage of, is that this provides us another vehicle and format for us to have that conversation. And um, prior to the pandemic, I don't think that. We were thinking quite as progressively about that. I don't think the, the, the marketplace of prospective students and families were thinking um, along those lines as well. And and now, now that we're so familiar with these technologies and, and opportunities, I, I see that conversation continuing on. In that will there be a back to normal? I don't think it'll be back to normal as we fully knew it before. Um, I think some things will be redefined. But the good news is I think that there are brighter days ahead, I think, with with. Vaccines rolling out, I think that we're going to be in a better place from a public health standpoint. And we're going through and thinking about not just this spring in terms of our plans for educational modalities, but also next fall and what that looks like and and beginning to do some of that scenario planning right now. I think brighter days are ahead in that regard, although that's still ill-defined for us. But um, but I don't think it'll be exactly as it was pre-pandemic. I think we've learned some things in this process and hopefully some good outcomes come from this.
0: Draw from the best of what you've learned and, and apply that to, to what you've been doing all along. Absolutely. Uh, one, one other area I'd like to, to, to just talk about briefly is the, the whole issue of cost and affordability. And it, it's been an issue before COVID and certainly families coming into the application process this year. I don't, don't need to tell you this, but you know, if they thought they needed financial assistance, they got the FAFSA out the, and they saw, oh, they want to see the 2019 data my, on, on the FAFSA, not the 2020. My life's changed a lot. Right. How has WAKE accommodated that awkwardness in, in the application process? Because families can't call the FAFS and say, whoa, you know, take a look at my 2020. It doesn't work that way. They have to contact you.
1: Right. Is that line of communication pretty well established with families? It's fairly well established. And we've had really three groups of, of sort of family reactions to this. We've had uh, prospective students in their families who have already been financially impacted with with job loss and other negative financial aspects uh, related to the pandemic. And we've been working through them to update their records, make some professional judgments, and uh, and to, in many cases, provide some additional financial aid to help support those families. There's, I think, a larger group right now that has yet to be negatively financially impacted by the pandemic. But the more this drags on, and depending upon what the strength of the recovery might look like, are concerned about what that may mean into the future. And so we're working with them to say there's, there's really nothing for us to do right now, but I've been pointing a number of folks to our net price calculator online to say, you know, run through a, different, a few different scenarios on there to understand what some of those financial impacts may be as we project this out into the future and begin to educate yourself there in, in that regard. And I know a number of families, both current uh, students on campus, as well as some of our prospective student groups um, are in that group. There's a third group, and again, it's tough to, to ballpark how large this group is, that has been relatively unaffected, uh, fortunately, by the pandemic. And for that group, things have been relatively consistent. But those have been the third, sort of three lines of demarcation among uh, the various groups that I've spoken with. It's a, a tough time, a tough time for
0: families, that even those who have saved and, and seem to be ready. But uh, the events of the last 10 months have been incredibly disruptive in, in, in all aspects of our lives. So i'm I'm curious now to to know uh, how you would advise families. Let's suppose you have an opportunity to talk with a family that uh, is at the front end of the college application process now, and you can tell that there's uncertainty, angst, anxiety. What are maybe one or two questions that you would advise families to be asking? Wake Forest and other institutions as as they try to find some degree of comfort and confidence going forward?
1: For our students who are in their junior years or or younger uh, in this process, um, there's a couple of questions that that come to mind. And actually, this is spurred by a conversation I had recently with some folks of the uh, Wake Forest alumni body who I pulled together a, a panel here. And uh, first and foremost on their mind was when can we visit campus? Uh, That was a big question. And and I would say that institutions are putting together safety parameters to ensure the safety of their current students, their faculty and staff. And I would ask families to to respect those when they're they're calling in and and inquiring and asking about those, uh, to be mindful of those. We will have visit opportunities available for uh, for some of our younger students. It won't be uh, right away. Uh, We'll be focusing this spring on our admitted student group of, of seniors. Uh, but there will be those opportunities into the future where you'll be able to see campus firsthand. Um, the the other sort of line of questioning that I would encourage families to have with various institutions that they're interested in uh, is to talk about what are some of those online opportunities for exploration on those various sites. Um, you know, we've, uh, throughout uh, the majority of this uh, pandemic lockdown, we've had, held a uh, um, a couple of different sessions. One's called Distinctively Wake, where we talk about the distinctive elements of a Wake Forest education. We hold that a couple times a week. We also have my colleague Karen Vargas conduct what's called Dean's Corner, which is basically just an open format Q&A. We'll have a topic that we, we focus some time and attention on initially, uh, but then from that, we'll really open the floor to student conversations that they may have about navigating the college search and selection process. And so there are these resources that institutions are providing to, to families online while we're not able to, to gather physically. And those are, are increasingly robust, sort of the, the longer we're in these circumstances. So those are available. And I would encourage families among those, those top institutions that they're considering to really explore what those, those may look like. So be patient. We're going to get there. And get there.
0: Uh, be diligent in, in, in terms of uh, looking for information that, that can satisfy your needs and interests.
1: What concerns me is that some students may be putting this search on the back burner. We don't want that. We, we do want students to engage in the process and begin asking those questions, but recognize that we're not going to have the, the, the full opportunities available to you for some time. Excellent. Excellent.
0: Eric, this has been great uh, getting caught up with you and, and, and hearing uh, how Wake Forest has been dealing with the pandemic. It sounds like you're in good shape. You've got good leadership uh, and you're at the helm of that as well. So uh, good congratulations for you. I hope that uh, what we've been able to discuss here has been helpful for those who are listening in, but I want to thank you again for your time on a busy day uh, and I want to wish you well and uh, be safe, my friend. Take care.
1: Thank you, sir. Take care.